Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 25th day of November, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and I hope and pray you had a blessed time together with family, friends, and loved ones on this past Thanksgiving Day holiday. And due to the nature of the week itself, there is arguably less news this week. The wars continue, though. The economic meltdown is still picking up steam, and at least a few people that are trying to go and find out what they can still buy on Black Friday or what they can still afford, given Biden inflation are beginning to realize, huh, the insanity hasn't even slowed down. And while there is certainly much to be thankful for, including the fact that we know who we serve and thus who the real founder of the feast is, and the fact that more and more people seem to be realizing that, although the converse is certainly true as well. And this first story, as we try to wrap up the week, makes both of those points. If you're inclined, you certainly won't have any trouble finding it online. But still, the Western Journalism Center, the Gateway Pundit, and others are pointing out that for the first time in American history, the Biden Fuhrer has now attempted to officially remove God from any mention during the Thanksgiving 2023 proclamation. Since the very first Thanksgiving Day on Plymouth Rock, says the piece from Rachel Emanuel in the Western Journal, and its subsequent establishment as a day of thanks, at least officially, in October 1789, the recipient of that thanks on behalf of the once United States of America has always been, depending upon the name you prefer, God Almighty, yod heh vav or Yahuwah, or his risen son, the Messiah, but as Scripture reminds us, they are in fact echad in the Hebrew, or a unity, Still, though, says this summary, in keeping with the destruction of everything good and virtuous in this once free nation, this year the Fuhrer has simply removed God or any reference to him as the recipient of actual thanks on Thanksgiving. The abomination masquerading as a proclamation released on Wednesday for the first time in American history again, completely eliminated, omitted, overlooked? No, I don't think so. Any specific reference to God or even faith, at least in something other than the almighty state. The first line is all I can stomach, and it tells you everything you need to know. Quote, as families, loved ones, and friends across the country come together to celebrate Thanksgiving, let us be grateful for all the blessings of God Almighty? No, of this nation and its limitless possibility. I guess through socialist America, all things are possible. Oh, yeah, and let's not confuse this nation with the one that most of us grew up in. And before we look back at some of the other news from the week that was, most of it before the Day of Thanks, at least for some folks, I will mention a bit of good news that actually happened while most Americans were otherwise occupied. Courtesy of Zero Hedge and the senior macro strategist Boss Van Geffen at Rubblebank, in what's been called a big upset, the far right, no, it's just freedom loving, the PVV in Dutch does seem to stand for Freedom Party, well, the PVV won big in the Dutch parliamentary elections. Moreover, Geert Wilder's party won by a much bigger margin than the pollsters had led people to expect. And as if we didn't know, folks, the point of polling in most countries nowadays seems to be to prepare them for the election rigging that is supposed to come off as scheduled. So something didn't quite come off. Or else, as we've also seen, the landslide for the good guys was bigger than expected. Pollsters said that the biggest three parties over there were running neck and neck ahead of Election Day, with each of them projected to win about 27 seats. However, with 98% of the votes counted, the PVV surprised and managed to win 37 instead. Other non-traditional parties also did well. 
Newcomer NSC entered the political scene with 20 seats. The Farmer Citizens Movement, and remember, the Netherlands is a place where they're trying to get rid of those guys and everything that they once stood for, can now put six additional seats next to its current one. And the rise of these parties comes at the cost of the former coalition. The leftist VVD has got 24 seats, the center-right CDA5, and the really far-left, a.k.a. progressive, D66, <laughs> I think they left off a number there, collectively lost 35 seats between them. And, says the piece, these shifts illustrate the Dutch discontent with the uh, far-left anti, well, pretty much everything that they grew up with, politicians, and the failure of any accountability in their government. So if there's really good news here, folks, it seems to be that more and more people worldwide are starting to say no to Big Brother and all of the New World Order, World Economic Forum, totalitarian socialist, global great reset. To whatever extent, they're still allowed. Still, though, the piece says almost gleefully, despite their landslide victory, the PVV is well short of the 76 seats that are needed for a majority in Parliament. And here's uh, good news that they say is bad news. The success and margin of victory of the PVV Freedom Party could fuel further discontent by the population at large with what they laughably call traditional politics. In other words, screw you and the horse you rode in on, and oh, by the way, we're taking your farm too. Looks like maybe at least, and this is good news, there's a bit of a hitch in the totalitarian get-along in the Netherlands. Cycles analyst extraordinaire Martin Armstrong also seems to take issue with the left stream or waste stream media and how they characterize anything to the actual right of Adolf Hitler as far right. And if you have any understanding of history at all, folks, you know that Hitler was not far right. Hitler was a totalitarian socialist of the national variety. He just didn't like the other socialists that called themselves communist. In a piece entitled... The shift to the middle is coming. He writes that all the media now seems to be so anti-common sense that anyone who dares to take any contrary view is now called far-right as if they're Nazis. And never in all my years, he said, have I ever witnessed the mainstream media sick so far left that they're destroying the very foundations of civilization. And they don't care. Your position must be their view. And anything contrary to that is evil. And, of course, it's not evil as far as Scripture is concerned that they're talking about. This, he says, is not a free society, nor is is this how civilizations are maintained? And when you manage to divide the nation in such a manner and impose your will by sheer dictatorship, you know the end is near. Time magazine characterized the Dutch election as a far-right victory. And as you've just heard, they weren't alone. They want to exit the EU and retake their sovereignty. Imagine that. They're being flooded with immigrants. Crime has soared all because Merkel opened the borders unilaterally. And the EU has never been asked to vote on this policy. You know, it's never. But if you dare object, you are the dangerous, evil, far right. And friends he has there, he says, won't even allow their daughter to walk to the bus station for fear she might be raped. What the EU has done to the Dutch farmers, he notes, and here he is not alone, is insane. And they're so brain dead, they fail to understand that the planet does go through cycles. And reducing food production, as we head into solar minimum, risks food shortages and rising disease, as well as outright starvation. But if you oppose that, you are now the evil far right as well. The people were told by the PVV, and they seem to have agreed, that the Netherlands has been, quote, seriously weakened due to the ongoing asylum tsunami and mass immigration. And that party also pledged to stop sending aid to Ukraine, 
Oh, yeah, and they're also upset that the country is being transformed into an Islamic state. They've called for a ban on the Quran and shutting down mosques. France is generally projected to be an Islamic nation within 40 years. Our computer, says Martin Armstrong, shows that that could happen as early as 2032, thanks to an 8-to-1 birth rate in favor of Muslims in that country. But if you'd like to try to retain Europe as a Christian continent, assuming it's not already too late, you are the dangerous evil far right. Meanwhile, he says, the violence has already begun. There have been attempts to burn down Christian churches in southern Europe to the killing of a 16-year-old boy. He was stabbed to death. Seventeen others were injured. As the assailants declared, we are here to stab white people before the rampage, according to a report. Mobs in eastern Pakistan targeted Christian churches. In Jerusalem, extremists are chanting, death to Arabs, death to Christians. Then in Europe, there's been a surge in Koran burning in response to the influx of Muslims. Well, says Martin Armstrong, we're looking at the beginning of a serious religious war, and some of us would suggest it's being fomented, folks, brewing everywhere, which contributes, he notes, to our civil unrest model which turned up right here in the United States in 2023. Now, at this point, I'm going to pause just for a minute here in Martin Armstrong's piece to interject something he's going to go to, but it needs a bit of background first. It's arguably not only good news, but actually, given the fraud we've come to expect, more than surprising. A man that some of the press calls a conservative, but actually almost appears to be a true libertarian. Some of that, if you saw the interview, came out when he sat down not too long ago with Tucker Carlson. Javier Millet overcame the Peronist machine, says some of the coverage, the mainstream media opposition, and is now the new president of Argentina. And in fact, what was a blowout result? And uh, I got to say it, even in a place where they don't have the open fraud that we do here, you got to figure it probably took at least a supermajority in order to even appear to be a real win. And he went beyond that. This election, as you may recall, ended up being a runoff, and after finishing second and that previous one behind Finance Minister Sergio Massa, Malay got support from former President Mauricio Macri, and since then he's jumped way ahead in the polls. And even before the official result of the elections in Argentina, imagine this, folks, remember when this used to happen in the United States, Sergio Massa acknowledged defeat and congratulated his opponent, Javier Malay. Now that almost all the ballots have been counted after Sunday's election, Malay took fully 56% of the votes to 44% for his opponent in the left-wing Peronist coalition, and Argentina now has its first libertarian outsider president. Now at this point, I will quote as much as I can stand from the Reuters commentary. The outsider, they say, has radical views, and the country is now calling on him to, quote, fix an economy battered by triple-digit inflation, a looming recession, and rising poverty. Well, you know what, folks? Outright socialism or Communism will do that. They do note that the candidacy of his rival, the Peronist and Socialist Economy Minister, was hampered by the country's worst economic crisis in a couple of decades while he's been at the helm. Good grief. And Reuters seems upset by this because they say Malay is pledging economic shock therapy. His plans include, uh-oh, I hope you're sitting down, folks, shuttering the central bank, ditching the peso, and slashing spending. All kinds of potentially painful reforms, say these socialists, that resonated with voters that are understandably angry at the country's economic malaise. But they note, and this is at least true, Malay's challenges are enormous. He'll have to deal with the empty coffers of the government and central banksters, a creaking $44 billion debt program with the International Monetary Fund, and inflation nearing 150%, as well as a dizzying array of capital controls. They don't mention it. I think we need to. 
He's got to stay alive, too, to accomplish the things it seems he certainly intends to try. Now, at this point, it's interesting to note that there are certain similarities between the election of Malay and others that you may recall a bit closer to home here. Malay, as the press puts it, has made allegations of possible electoral fraud, reminiscent of those from not only Donald Trump, but also Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, who has received Trump-like treatment since also being undermined by a communist insurrection down south and then deep-sixed by their own circus courts. And America's last actually elected president congratulated Malay on social media and said that the libertarian there would, quote, make Argentina great again. Says coverage, he is staunchly anti-abortion, favors looser gun laws, not exactly what you'd call a Second Amendment, but then again, they've never even come close to having one, and has criticized Pope Satan. Now, I find it interesting that most of the press doesn't even mention it, but the truth is, from what I can see, this guy really comes about as close to being a true Austrian economist, understanding the value of real money as opposed to fake, and the influence of nasty banksters and what fiat money does to an economy, more than anybody that's, well, even on the horizon, and that includes America at this point. And a while back, say some of the stories, he used to carry a chainsaw as a symbol of his planned cuts, but over recent weeks he shelved that in order to boost his um, more moderate image. I gotta admit, folks, I really do like this. In the streets of Buenos Aires, drivers honked their horns. Many took to the streets to celebrate outside Malay's party headquarters in downtown Buenos Aires. A full-on party kicked off with supporters singing, buying beers from vendors, setting off color smoke bombs, waving Argentine flags, and yep, folks, even the yellow Gadsden Don't Tread on Me flag, which has emerged as a symbol of the new freedom movement. At least, folks, he can do one clear thing, and he's pledged to do it. Cut, slash, and burn the socialist economic wet blanket. And if he is able to do that, I suspect we'll see a country that was once one of the most prosperous, if not the most prosperous, in the entire world begin to recover what free markets are actually capable of, and indeed, they may even come to remember. All of which, now that that's on the table, takes me back to Martin Armstrong, who notes that the Communist News Network also called Javier Millet far right after he won Argentina's presidential election. They reported that he was, quote, wrenching his country to the right. You can almost feel your neck snap, can't you? Or maybe it's your knee jerk. With a bombastic anti-establishment campaign. And they said he was, uh-oh, this is really low of them. He was even comparable to Donald Trump. They admitted this was against the backdrop of one of the world's highest inflation rates. And remember, they won't point it out, but Martin will and so will I. Argentina was once the economic star of the world until it turned far left. But if it tries to improve the economy, it is dangerous and evil and, oh yeah, far right. In Bavaria, the press reported that a far right AFD there won back in June. So unless you're for lockdowns, the war against Russia, high inflation, and lowering of living standards, then you must be one of those loathsome far right dangerous people who need to be educated, oh yeah, and suppressed, and no doubt, if necessary, killed, or at least imprisoned in a gulag somewhere. Anyone who wants to return to normal life, says Martin Armstrong, is now just disgusting far right. You had better support World War III, high taxes, the end of your own lifestyle in favor of non-existent man-made global warming, a.k.a. climate change. And if you didn't tell your son in first grade that he's really a girl, you're probably also guilty of child abuse and your children should be taken from you by force and have their, you know, what's cut off. 
Any suggestion we should return to a time when there was an immigration requirement, people had to meet certain standards, and there were actually limits, and when transgender was a private discussion not to be celebrated on a beer can? Or maybe even we understood that Mother Nature had cycles all by herself, and warming periods marked the rise in civilization, while cold periods resulted in population declines and nations contracted? Well, that's no longer middle ground. That, too, is far right. Now, Martin helpfully puts in place a chart that I've seen him use before, which literally charts the rise and fall of nations, empires, and city-states based on the energy output of the sun. And guess what, folks? It's not only cyclical. It's dramatic. You can see everything from the Sumerian, Egyptian, Phoenician, Athenian, Roman peaks to the collapse of the Egyptian 18th dynasty, Athens, Rome, the Incas, and so on. Concludes Martin Armstrong. During the panic of 1869, when they were dragging the banksters out and hanging them, which was the first Black Friday, I fear that when all of this starts to come unglued around 2024, this time they'll be dragging journalists out to the streets and hanging them for destroying civilization where both sides are supposed to coexist. From there, we're going to hearken back a bit to Wednesday, the 22nd day of November this year, 2023. And if that date begins to ring a bell, folks, it should, because it's the 60th anniversary of what is arguably one of the most important dates in American history. That, of course, being the assassination of President John F. Kennedy and, almost certainly even more catastrophic, the destruction of the American Republic and the cover-up that has followed now for six full decades. Most Americans do now know that the magic bullet is BS and that Lee Harvey Oswald, if he wasn't a complete patsy, certainly didn't act alone. One thing's for sure, he didn't orchestrate the cover-up, nor does he run the various three-letter agencies that have been continuing that process ever since. It led us to the point where instead of having the youngest and actually intelligent president in American history, we have the oldest and undeniably senile, as well as a traitor. But ironically, most Americans now probably know that JFK's election may actually have been the result of dead voters in Cook County, Illinois, while the Biden puppet wasn't elected at all, but installed, oh, and even more ironically, by arguably the very same people, or at least entities, that orchestrated that violent overthrow 60 years ago today. And one final irony, too. I didn't even realize this until I looked it up today. Two other famous people, arguably both of them, anti-tyrannical, Aldous Huxley and C.S. Lewis, both died on this very same day, in the very same year, 1963. So, we'll start off today with some stories that relate to one of the many reasons that JFK may have been assassinated. He wasn't a big fan of the unconstitutional Federal Reserve, which is very clear from history, and you could argue vice versa. Although, of course, the evidence is still hidden. But day by day, the evidence continues to emerge that the almighty fiat dollar is literally not only long in the tooth, but perhaps on its last legs. Here's a piece about the Great Bifurcation courtesy of Russia Today, which says Western currencies have now almost been completely phased out of trade between Russia and China, as nearly all payments between those two countries are now carried out in rubles and yuan, said Russian First Deputy Prime Minister Audrey Belisov earlier this week. Since the introduction of Western sanctions on Moscow by the criminal banksters that run the swamp, Russia and China have accelerated what they already intended to do anyway, but now have no good reason for not following through on the use of their own currencies in international trade. According to Belisov, 95% of all transactions between Russia and China are now carried out in one of those two countries' national currencies, and given the rapid expansion of mutual trade and cooperation, says the piece, that percentage is likely to grow, although it's only got a little ways until it gets to 100. Speaking at a meeting of the Russia-China Intergovernmental Commission in Beijing, 
Beijing, the deputy prime minister said bilateral trade between the two countries will exceed the target of 200 billion bucks this year and may reach 300 billion by 2030. And as any number of commentators have been pointing out for years, including your host, the threat of the BRICS countries continues to grow, and ultimately, they intend to stop using the dollar for trade outside the Western Bloc entirely. The ramifications, of course, are massive, and most Americans won't figure it out until it's too late. And on that same subject, Michael Snyder, The Economic Collapse blog, notes that there are more problems with the big banksters. J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo have all had their ratings downgraded lately. That's the reason, he says, why I'm watching the banks so carefully. They are, or at least were, folks, the beating heart of our economic system. So if they get into big trouble, and they will, we will all feel the pain. That happened, as you perhaps recall, back in 2008, and it's in progress again right now. And just in time for Thanksgiving, three of the too-big-to-fail and too-big-to-jail banksters have had their ratings downgraded by Moody's Investment Service, which cut the outlook from stable to negative on all three of them, Bank of America Corp., J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. And acknowledging the problems, analyst Peter Nerby of Moody said the worsening outlook on bank debt was due to, quote, the potentially weaker capacity of Big Brother, i.e. the government of the United States of America, or what now passes for it, to support the so-called systemically important banks. When the bucket's broken, who bails out the bailers? But that's not all. Wells Fargo has just permanently shut down 13 more branches in a single week. There are other indicators that show the banks are getting tight with their credit right now. Rejection rates among applicants increased by 2.1 percentage points in 2023 to 20.1%, and that's way above the 2019 level of 17.6%. Existing home sales have fallen to the lowest level since 2010, and major retailers are acknowledging, yeah, it looks like shoppers will be spending less this year for the so-called holidays. Best Buy, Lowe's, Kohl's have all reported sales declines during the most recent quarter as of Tuesday and are forecasting holiday sales to drop even more from a year ago. Earlier this week, folks, I did the story about the U.S. Army. After having given so many good soldiers the boot because they wouldn't submit to suicide by lethal injection, it's now begging for them to come back. And many of them are saying, hey, you asked for it. Go pound salt or, uh, well, something a bit more blunt. Can't say I blame them. Those of us that actually want to serve may end up deciding, hey, why don't I fight for my own country's borders? But now there's this from Jim Hofton, the Gateway Pundit, about a poignant and downright critical statement that comes from a former soldier of the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne Division, who's expressed his profound disappointment, to put it mildly, and frustration with the Biden regime. And you'll never guess, folks, what they're trying to do to these people now. Brock Michael, who recently concluded his four-year stint of active duty, shared his grievances in a now-deleted video during what was called his gear turn-in day, a standard procedure for departing military personnel. His primary contention revolves around being charged an exorbitant amount of money for military equipment, almost 4000 bucks, that he was ordered to abandon during the Biden Fuhrer's gift of it to the Taliban in Afghanistan during that tumultuous, to put it mildly, withdrawal of U.S. forces there. The charges came as a shock to the soldier, especially considering the circumstances under which he was ordered to leave that gear behind. And it looks like now Big Brother's trying to charge those soldiers who survived that debacle for their own incompetence, or uh, arguably worse. Because hopefully you recall that the Biden fuel regime armed the Taliban terrorists with 80 plus billion bucks in U.S. high-tech weaponry, machines, equipment, and ammunition when he surrendered all of it to the Taliban and fled from Afghanistan in 2021 and ended up arming so many other terrorist groups all around the world.
The total, over 75,000 vehicles, more than 600,000 weapons, and 200 aircraft, from helicopters to drones to transports. And almost all of it, folks, things that Big Brother won't even allow once free Americans to possess anymore. Ponder the irony there. But it seems that even more soldiers, sailors, and Marines aren't just saying go pound salt. They're doing something about the uh, abuse that they've suffered as well. Sadly, though, they're trying to rely on the U.S. legal system for remedy. Here's a piece from Martin Armstrong and Armstrong Economics when he says, do you remember that 100,000 or so U.S. troops that were discharged when they failed to submit to the Zyklon B experimental injections? They did so at a time when recruitment was already at an all-time low, and that effectively prevented many of them from ever, quote-unquote, serving their country. But now, many of those discharged troops have joined in a class-action lawsuit to sue the Biden regime for lost wages and benefits. He provides a link for anybody else that wants to join the lawsuit, which says, quote, This is the greatest reduction in force since the end of the Cold War and likely the greatest self-inflicted threat to national security and military readiness in our nation's history. As we face the prospect of war with rival superpowers on multiple fronts around the world. Congress, the case summary continues, saw the damage that this was doing to our military and national security and ordered the military to rescind the mandate in January 2023. But Congress didn't mandate any compensation for those whose careers were destroyed by the Zyklon B mandate. And those involved believe that the back pay alone will cost the government billions of fiat bucks. The invasion of foreign military and terrorists across the open border and the destruction of this nation's defenses will arguably cost far more. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am again your host, Mark Call, and perhaps because this was a holiday week, perhaps in part it's the calm before the storm, or as we're seeing in Iceland, the tremors before the big volcanic eruption, there have been a number of signs of the time stories that just didn't get that much coverage from the Waystream press starting last weekend. So we're going to kick this segment off with what I guess I would call a series of utterly damning stories that really do tell the tale, even if the Waystream won't starting with one of those tremors that should have happened three years ago. The new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, unlike his predecessor, actually kept a promise and finally began the process of releasing more of the utterly damning January 6th footage that had the American people known what was really going on. The Biden Fuhrer would never have been able to get away with destroying the country for the last three years. Oh yeah, there's also a thousand or more really good patriots that wouldn't be rotting in the gulags at this point. Heading into the weekend, 
the Congress finally released about 10% of the over 40,000 hours of official Big Brother's on-site cameras video footage of what really happened on January the 6th. And surprise, surprise, folks, they've been lying, especially the damnably evil January 6th Select Committee. The rest of it's supposed to come out over the next few weeks. We'll see whether they block it yet again or not. But meanwhile, if we had an honest Department of Justice, what we have is more than enough to begin impeachment proceedings and treason trials for a whole bunch of outright traitors. Some of that first 10% has started to show up on places like Alex Jones Infowars and various Twitter feeds. More will no doubt appear as people have a chance to look through the thousands of hours that are already out there and say, hey, check this out and notice who's in this video that's also later in this video. And how bad was it? Well, those who have seen even a bit of it are now coming to realize, wow, no wonder the select committee didn't want anybody to ever see any of this. There are even calls that they should be investigated and held responsible criminally for the cover-up. Meanwhile, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has called on the Speaker to create a new January 6th Select Committee, this time an honest one, actually abiding by the rules of the House, because, as she put it, releasing the tapes is simply not enough. There need to be investigations and accountability for all the lies, deceit, and lives ruined, and every member of that evil January 6th Committee, scumbags like Adam Schiff, Zoe Lofgren, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinziger, and the other usual suspects as well as the FBI, DOJ, D.C. police, and other TLAs that have been involved in what's rightfully being called now the Fedsurrection, must be held accountable. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget even bigger traitors and arguably ringleaders of the whole stinking mess like Nancy Pelosi and Chucky Schumer. It's time to issue subpoenas, she said, to them and all the other witnesses who lied. Remember when they made comments like this was worse than 9-11, worse than Pearl Harbor? Well, in fact, it was, because now we know both of those were cover-ups, but they didn't have nearly the effect of destroying an entire nation that their efforts did. And what do we know already that the video showed? Well, some of the videos have already been released. No, not the ones we're seeing now, but those that were taken by bystanders who did not have their phones confiscated, at least not in time, by the FBI and so forth. So what we're seeing are different angles, and in some cases, things that were going on behind closed doors that you weren't supposed to see at all. Obviously, though, and we've known this for a while, but now it's undeniable, and even the Waystream may eventually have to do a mea culpa and admit they've been lying through their damnable teeth. There was no insurrection. There wasn't even a real riot. It was instigated by the same people that started it, fomented it, and now have been covering it up and covering their tracks. As Jim Hoff writes for TGP, among other things the recent footage makes undeniable, Police officers started firing on unsuspecting Trump supporters on January 6, 2021, without warning. The footage also revealed that D.C. police continued to fire on the protesters with rubber bullets, explosive munitions, and gas canisters. The Trump crowd that gathered on the west side of the U.S. Capitol had no idea they were going to be fired on. There was no warning. And as you may have heard, but not from the likes of the criminally negligent networks, and now we know it's worse than that, Maybe complicit nasty Nazis comes closer to the truth now. There were four Trump supporters killed that day by police, including Benjamin Phillips and Kevin Greeson, who were killed when police started firing munitions on the crowd. You know about Ashley Babbitt, who was executed by Mike Byrd inside the building. And in the case of these two men, 
The fake news originally said they'd had heart attacks. Without adding, they were bombarded with exploding munitions without warning while they stood in a crowd of tens of thousands of fellow Trump supporters and patriots who had no idea that federal officers, confidential human sources, and various undercover police, and who knows how many other criminals masquerading as three-letter agents or as provocateurs thereof, had inserted themselves inside the pro-Trump crowd that day. We know, folks, that it's up in the dozens. It may even have been a lot more than that. One of the videos that I actually went and saw, Alex Jones had it up on Sunday, and it's absolutely damning, shows a uh, protester in handcuffs being taken away from the crowd out of view of everybody. Well, except the camera that they never wanted you to see, whereupon he was released from the handcuffs and fist bumped his buds before, well, disappearing. Maybe he testified before the J6 committee and lied, or maybe not. We don't really know for sure, and they're not about to tell you his name. But what do you bet that now that people are allowed to see it, some of them may connect the video dots. After keeping his promise and releasing, finally, the video footage, and remember, folks, that's only 10% of it so far. Speaker Mike Johnson on Twitter slash X said, quote, the American people can always be trusted to evaluate information and make their own judgments and decisions. And that, folks, is the exact reason why the J6 committee was formed and the scumbags that didn't want you to know how they had literally stolen an election, subverted an entire Republican form of government, and then committed additional acts of treason to not only cover it up, but persecute the innocent and make damn sure that none of this ever came out have been literally crapping in their Biden pampers all weekend. I'm sorry to be crude, but no, it's time to be crude, folks, because what we've seen is worse than an insurrection. It was a communist revolution. We knew it then, and we knew it when they used that Fedsurrection to try to short-circuit any resistance. It's arguably the single greatest act of treason, with the possible exception of Fauci's attempt at genocide, but they're all related now, aren't they, in history. Back to Mike Johnson's quote when he released the first part of the videos, when bureaucrats and partisan activists, and I think he's being too kind, withhold data to advance a narrative, it erodes trust in our institutions. Gee, do you think? We must, he said, restore that trust, unquote. And I guess we'll see, folks, because it begins with holding people who are guilty of treason accountable according to what the Constitution, and back when we had one, the rule of law, once said, was really supposed to happen. Instead of putting the innocents in the gulag and running a series of Soviet-style circus trials to hound the fellow who actually, and now it's undeniable, really did win that election, arguably by one of the biggest landslides in modern history, which therefore took one of the biggest acts of outright election fraud to steal it, so far over the top that nobody with half a brain at this point even remotely believes that the senile, hair-sniffing, basement-dwelling, constitution-hating Biden even got 60 million votes, much less 81 million. And here, folks, I have one additional comment to make at this point. We've got more coverage of everything that represents the uh, damning stories today, and they literally are all over the field, but still with one singular unifying theme. As the Gateway Pundit notes, they've reported a number of times over the last two years that shots were first fired by police that day, including things like flashbang grenades into the crowd. And it was only after that, quote, government assault on the people where Capitol Police and others, perhaps, but certainly Capitol Police, fired on the peaceful Trump crowd, which included seniors and children, that the crowd finally really started to get upset, arguably exactly like they were supposed to. So what's the observation that I think is... Uh, at this point, I hope pretty clear. No wonder some of the uh, even 
rhinos in the House and Senate decided, whew, we can't let this information out because if the American people really do find out what we've been complicit in, if you thought they were pissed on January the 6th, just wait until they realize what we've been doing to them and all the years since. Oh, yeah. No wonder, folks. And I guess at this point, a little bit more information about the so-called January 6th Select Committee, a.k.a. the committee to cover up the real revolution and destroy the innocent, is appropriate. You may recall that they provided what they laughably called evidence to special counsel hatchet man Jack Smith in an effort to take down the guy who we now know really did win the election, who then indicted President Trump. But nope, you still can't see the so-called evidence. But wait, that's not all. In January of this year, nutcase Nancy Pelosi, former speaker, Liz Cheney, and the other Democrats, and maybe I repeat myself, locked up important videos and documents that the J6 committee had collected from the American public for a period of 32, maybe if they can get away with it, 50 years after the sham investigation was shut down. As Yahoo put it, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had already named the so-called House Committee on House Administration to be custodian of the records. Under current House rules, it says, the committee is obligated to hand over official records to the House clerk who transmits them to the National Archives, which is then prohibited from releasing those committee records for at least 30 years. But if they're classified as sensitive records, and oh yeah, you know these are, from a major investigation, they can get away with holding them for 50 years before the public figures out how badly they've been scammed. And by that time, it won't matter. The new government and the Ministry of Truth will probably have done George Orwell's Winston thing to those records anyway. From there, on we go to a very much related story that was so obscene, I almost started off with it today. But hey, in order to understand exactly what's going on here, we do need some context. So this is from one of the scumbags masquerading as Colorado Secretary of State, who's a minor player, but still knee-deep in the exact kind of treason, cover-up, and real insurrection that they've been, thus far at least, getting away with. And it sounds to me like she's running scared. And by additional way of introduction, you may recall that there was a puppet judge in Colorado who was supposed to sign off on Trump being removed from the ballot there because of, you know, the insurrection that wasn't. Never mind that they don't even have evidence, much less a conviction. Evidently, she knew what she was supposed to do and somehow or other didn't. And oops, that's a problem. Still, though, she's working to try to set a precedent for other states to do it. Just didn't have the guts to uh, follow through on her programming herself. Maybe, folks, it has something to do with the wheels coming off the wagon. So without further ado, here is the scumbag, Jenna Griswold, Colorado's so-called Secretary of State, appearing on, well, I guess you'd have to say, where else, socialist-loving media sycophant MSNBC. And I use that term because it fits, and oh yeah, you're going to hear it again as the introduction for this one. Which, in context anyway, actually starts off funny. Because you've got to listen to how this suck-up sycophant begins. You said to me then, which literally almost every secretary uh, of state in the country to whom NBC has spoken said. Because if they won't say it, we won't speak to them. That you're likely not going to be the last voice on this thing. You can do what you may think you need to do, but this is definitely going to the courts. And you Soros DAs have your crooked Soros judges all lined up to do your dirty business in the circus courts. So that's what happened in, in Colorado. It went to the courts, and lots of people are surprised by what happened yesterday. Are you? Yes, this is a surprising ruling. She knew what she was supposed to do, so what was this? Oh, and by the way, this may be one of the most idiotic bits of hypocrisy ever uttered with a straight face. The idea that any official who would engage in insurrection would be barred from taking office except the presidency 
is incredibly surprising. That basically means that the presidency is a get-out-of-jail-free card for insurrection. Yeah, you've heard it right, but isn't that precisely what they just accomplished? Oh, yeah, and like other leftist ignoramuses, public school educated, no doubt, she doesn't have a clue what our form of government was actually supposed to be anyway, or what the purpose of the Constitution really was, past tense. As someone who cares deeply about the state of our democracy, I find that very troubling. The American people need to know that the president, the person, if anybody, the person most in charge of protecting the Constitution, actually has a duty to do so. (laughs) So I'm right there with you. I I find uh, it very troubling that the president of the United States could engage in insurrection and, unlike everybody else, could then be president again. Hey. Maybe that's why this rubber stamp judge actually ended up getting cold feet. (laughs) The implications were just too clear. Well, folks, we've just really scratched the surface because the damning news just continues to keep coming out. Here's one that we'll have to take up later because we're going to run out of time if I don't. Breaking, says InfoWars coverage, courtesy of X, the service formerly known as Twitter, and Elon Musk. Media Matters, he's blaming that leftist public-private partner, propagandist, and media manipulator. But Media Matters, said Elon Musk, has been caught rigging results on X in order to deceive advertisers. And as a result, Musk has prepped what he called a thermonuclear lawsuit. But the leftist mouthpiece claimed that a report that they issued on Thursday showed, quote, white nationalist and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And they purported to prove that ads for all kinds of major brands like Apple, Bravo, IBM, Oracle, Xfinity, or Comcast, and others are being linked or shown on the same pages with stuff that those knee-jerk, politically correct companies just won't want to be associated with at all. IBM over the weekend said they were dropping X as a result, and Musk now evidently seems to imply that They were lied to. Maybe they're too stupid to figure it out. I don't know if that's exactly how he put it or not. But ultimately, there will be a lawsuit, and he says he can prove all of this in court. Because what he called these rogue groups are, quote, trying to use their influence to attack our revenue streams by deceiving advertisers on X. And he detailed just why their report was nothing but garbage. It's kind of like what we're seeing with other forms of insurrection and the cover-ups to hide it from people. But this one is admittedly more subtle. Item, one more damning story about the war on America, and in this case, the attempt to destroy the U.S. military from within. A piece on the burning platform says a letter is going out to soldiers now from the Department of the Army on official letterhead, and they post a scan that says, quote, former soldiers who were involuntarily separated. In other words, folks, they were kicked out because they wouldn't succumb to the involuntary poisoning of their systems by the Zyklon B injections, may request a correction of their military records. Yep, we force you into an other-than-honorable discharge or some other attempt to destroy the rest of your life. But now it says individuals who desire to apply to return to service, hey, we're really sorry for what we did. Yeah, you can sign up to be one of Biden's little pieces of cannon fodder and go die on some other shore defending borders that we don't give a damn about if they're in Texas. I actually love the response. I'm going to have to edit this carefully. But it goes like this from one of the people who received the letter. Quote, the U.S. Army and fuck Biden. You treated warriors like dirt and kicked them out of the military, and now you're begging these real men with integrity to come back and bail you out. Fuck you. Go fight the Russians, the Chinese, and the Iranians with your woke transgender army of deviants. Unquote. I'd say that pretty well sums it up. 
Are you starting to think, folks, there are just maybe some Americans that have had it with the communist Biden Fuhrer, CCP, WEF, New World Order, Bilderberg, Deep State, we're all on the take revolution? And if I wanted to go from the bad to the truly ugly today, this next item would be the one to do it. And I saw it more than one place, but I like this summary from Sally back at the burning platform, the best, about yet another pilot who warns of an airline industry disaster due to the Zyklon B injections. Captain Shane Murdoch says the air industry is poised on the precipice of disaster. He's been a pilot for more than 40 years and is a qualified air accident investigator and has found official data that backs up his claims of impending global catastrophe. The Australian captain adds, when correlated, the data indicate that there is an enormous problem that is having and will have a significant impact on aviation safety worldwide. There is enough evidence, he says, to be sending out red flags. There have been many tragedies this year, says the piece. Phil Thomas, young graduate of the Cadiz Spain Flight Training Academy, fell ill and died suddenly in April. There have been five pilot incapacitations in March, including a pilot on British Airways who collapsed and died in Cairo not long before he was due to fly. And a lot of pilots, you may recall, well, at least used to be super fit. So why are so many dying suddenly? Does that give you a possible clue? Or at least collapsing? Captain Murdoch has concluded, and has the evidence to back it up, and we'll give you even more on that score in just a second, that they are suffering severe adverse reactions to the COVID-19 not vaccinations, and they include myocarditis or heart inflammation, brain fog, insomnia, blood clots, and anaphylaxis. You've heard all of these. We're kind of getting used to them, aren't we? That represent just some of the major known side effects. He thinks some pilots are ticking time bombs and claims that many are not declaring their ill health. And your host has made this point, and the reason why it's true, clear for some time now. As he put it, they're not reporting the brain fog, the heart flutters, and the dizzy spells because they don't want to lose their jobs. And it occurs to me, all they'd really have to do is say, oh, yeah, I'm suffering all that stuff. But, hey, I took the COVID vaccine, and I'll point it out if you try to fire me. And I don't think anybody would dare to touch them, at least not officially. Back to the story here, which points out that in America, at least back when we used to have a Federal Aviation Administration that at least claimed they were concerned with aviation safety and pilot health, pilots who flew for the commercial carriers were required to have what's called a first-class aviation medical exam every six months. And the rules internationally generally state that they can pass that test only if they have a less than 1% chance of suffering an incapacitating illness. But how, oh, how are they passing the medicals if they're suffering adverse medical reactions? Last year, what the story calls the Global Aviation Regulator, the Federal Aviation Administration in America, changed their ECG or electrocardiogram markers that measure what's called the PR interval, the time it takes for an electrical impulse to travel from one part of the heart to another, and it's an indicator of heart health. The new limit is now 50% longer than the previous one, meaning that if a pilot has developed a heart condition, (laughs) not only could it slip past, they've loosened the regs to make it more likely. On November the 15th, 2020, Australian Airlines mandated the Zyklon B, a.k.a. COVID-19 vaccines for 900 pilots and all air and ground crew. Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Moderna were available there, down under. Today is the third anniversary of that mandate, noted Captain Murdoch at the point the article was written, and he's one of 12 pilots who refused there to take it. He was sacked, of course, and accused of serious professional misconduct. Can you believe that, folks? That's downright insulting. To say that a pilot that actually cares about his health and the safety of his passengers is guilty of serious professional misconduct. No, he didn't show up drunk or rape a stewardess. 
I'll say it as kindly as I can. What the hell does that tell you about the damnable evil people who are allowing, no, mandating this kind of thing and are essentially saying to you and to the rest of the world, screw you and the plane that you may die on. You may have the impression, folks, that it really bugs me when I see so-called aviation regulators and air safety experts or even those who claim that they give a blankety-blank about professional misconduct showing us exactly what it looks like. Now, with the exception of the new anecdotes, admittedly, your host has talked about most of the things that led this story off for quite some time now. But what's new now? Well, here we go. And I'll introduce it this way. When a pilot puts out a mayday radio call to air traffic control or is incapacitated or for some reason, maybe he has a radio failure, unable to do that, there's a thing called a transponder, and it has a four-digit code on it. Every pilot knows exactly what codes mean very special or very important things. 7700 is one of those. They squawk 7700 anytime there is a mayday, and they are reserved for really serious incidents like pilot incapacitation or an unconditional contained fire on board. There are actually very few scenarios that warrant an actual outright mayday. Pilots are understandably even reluctant to declare an emergency because, among other things, there will be an investigation. But when lives are at stake, you do what is necessary. Passengers and crew, say the regs, must face genuine peril. And here's the news. There's been an unprecedented rise in the number of 7,700 squawks and mayday calls as tracked by a bot set up by the ex-account GFC Flight Alerts, which posts when a pilot squawks 7,700 anywhere in the world. Between 2018 and 2019, the average number of maydays was 29.1% of all distress calls. Things like, I have an engine issue, or maybe I'm running low on fuel, or I've encountered extreme in-flight icing. I need out of here fast. During 2022, though, the mayday calls increased... By 272%. Guess what happened just prior to that? In the first three quarters of 2023, that increase is now 386%. And the graph, if you plot it out, shows an instant steep increase. Right exactly when pilots were mandated to take these poisonous injections. And I've pointed this out before. Back when we had an FAA that did give a blankety-blank about aviation safety and pilot health, any pilot that took any type of medicine that had been on the open market fully approved for less than full 12 months was disqualified from flight. Grounded. Literally. Medically unfit to fly. Do not issue. Oh, that is up until they decided to mandate the death jab. In other words, it used to be the case that pilots were forbidden to take part in drug trials and experimental testing. But a couple of years back, if they wanted to fly, they weren't a pilot anymore. They were a guinea pig. And that means so are most of you. Captain Murdoch puts it this way, quote, somewhere on the international network daily, you'll find a plane that's been turned back because of a health emergency, either a passenger health emergency or a crew health emergency. And he also looked at the number of multi-crew licenses issued by Australia's regulator, the CASA, or Civil Aviation Safety Authority. How's that for a misnomer? Which has the authority to impose restrictions on airline transport pilot licenses, particularly when it comes to flight environments requiring multiple crew. And that includes a pilot whose medical status shows a possibility they may become incapacitated during flight. Guess what? There's been an unprecedented 126% increase in what are called limitations there, too. Who could have thought it? 
So let me wrap up this week with an observation. If you were one of those that had some, uh, let's just say, spirited discussions at the Thanksgiving dinner table, but maybe felt like some of the Kool-Aid drinkers just weren't getting it, especially if they intend to get on a commercial airline and fly home after the weekend, you may want to share some of the actual facts here with them before that. If nothing else, maybe their observation skills might be enhanced a bit on the trip home. 